Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm a feminist, but yesterday here in Auckland, I planned to go to the Lesbian Museum, but instead I had a nap and just looked at Ruby Rose's Instagram account. <laughs> and yesterday, I explained that in the I'm a feminist but section, and Grace Petrie was so angered, she stormed onto the stage. She's never done that before, ever, ever, ever. So furious was she that I had been in town with her a full day and not explained to her that there was a lesbian museum here in Auckland. And so today, I called the lesbian museum to try and get an appointment to view, (laughs) explaining there was a very famous lesbian in town, Grace Petrie, lesbian protest singer, all the way from the United Kingdom. And they have not called me back. And I'm so put out, I may not go tomorrow between one and four, which seems to be the only time they're open. Because there's three openings a week, and they're very small. I don't like the way you phrased that either. (laughs) Tight, tight windows. Tight, very, it's very difficult to penetrate the Lesbian Museum, is what I'm saying. Grace is going to storm on stage again, it looks like. You're very welcome to chip in, Grace. Grace. 
Grace Petrie, let's be a protest singer, everybody. I, we'll recycle I, mics. I, I, I regret it already. I just, um, I was going to say it was, it, was, it was quite wet today anyway, to be fair. <laughs> absolute privilege to share the stage with some truly remarkable people. One of the highlights of doing these podcasts is coming up with collective nouns for fans of Deborah Francis White. DF Dubs, as we know her. Uh, Grace Petrie came up with DF Dubsteppers. <laughs> I favour DF Dubmarines. Any other names? Not ones that I'm prepared to say on stage. Not far enough. But I... we did come up with a patriarchy for fans of Grace Petrie. <laughs> Um, and I, pr- I want her to open a pet shop and call it the Patriarchy. I'm a feminist, but recently a friend of mine who's dating said to me, there are different rules if you meet someone on a hookup app, like Tinder, or if you meet them in a bar. And I said to her, no, there aren't. Life's a hookup app now. I'm just contemplating about the difference between Tinder and a bar, as you probably wouldn't be allowed to swipe them right across their face in a bar. I think I'd be fine if someone swiped right on me in a bar. If they swiped left on me in a bar, I'd be very offended. Because there's no need, just walk away. (laughs) Just delete yourself. I'm a feminist, but when we recorded the podcast in Wellington and our fabulous guest, Emily Wrights, gave us all a Satisfier Pro 2 Next Generation... I generally had the thought, well, perhaps I'd better wait till I get home to try this out with my husband. Wow. I did not wait. I did not wait. And how was that experience for well, you? If I'm you're listening at home and you don't know what it is, uh, just Google Satisfy Pro 2 Next Generation. Yeah, it's a bit Star Trek, that name, isn't it? It so is. And Satisfier is with a Y. It's not with an I, Satisfier. Which would be Yetisfier. No, no, sat- the Y is where the I would normally be. No. I'm a feminist, but when I answered the door to a man who asked to speak to the homeowner and I said, it's me, and he said, don't be silly, let me talk to your father... I didn't know whether to be cross or flattered. I'm a feminist, but when Cal first told me that story earlier today, I was like, really? Like, was he doing that thing that older men do? Joking. Like, going, oh, you can't be older than 16. You know, when they think that's flattering. And it's not. And she was like, no, he really was annoyed. He was really thought that my father would be the homeowner. And I was like, look, I'm not saying you look old. But you don't look barely legal. Like, if I met you in a nightclub, I wouldn't ask your father's permission. I'm a feminist, but when I'm trying things on and they don't fit, and the shop assistant says, how did you go? I say, oh, I'm the wrong shape for things today. Like, I don't want to hurt the clothes feeling, but I don't care about my own. Mm. I'm just just too hideous for clothes today. I'm a feminist, but I really do think... I love the way women bond in changing rooms. And I have found out that straight men don't do this at all. Apparently, if you were trying on a shirt or a pair of trousers or a suit or whatever in a changing room, another straight man would never say to you, that looks great, or you can do better. They would never comment on... They'd never say, that shirt goes well with your eyes, ever. 
Because for me, that's the saddest thing about being a straight cis man that there is. <laughs> that you would be abandoned alone in a shirt that was perfect for your eyes. And you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know it because you might not have the confidence. You're looking at going, can I get away with this vivid blue? Probably not. I'll go for something paler. And nobody is going to say to you, you're a queen. <laughs> and nor is anyone going to go, ooh, I just think you look better than the other. I don't know. I just feel like mm, it's not working for you. You can do better. And you can do better is not about, it's about you can do better. That's the best thing about with clothes. I think it's always got to be about you are mm. better than that item. Yep. And I am at the point now where I'm like, fashion works for me, I don't work for fashion. Fuck fashion. If it doesn't work for me, it's on the floor. I mean, I hang it up because I don't want to be mean to the, <laughs> flight, the shop assistants. Just to add, Grace Petrie and I did go to the Lesbian Museum in Auckland and I can highly recommend it. They treated us like royalty. It's a treasure trove of lesbiana. And if you're in Auckland or live in Auckland, you must go immediately. Live from the Q Theatre, Auckland, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Carl Wilson, and our very special guest, Ali Moore, talking about momentum. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis-White. This is Cal Wilson. And today we're talking about momentum. Momentum, keeping that feminist ball in the air. It's hard. It's really easy to start things and then lose enthusiasm for them or run out of time, isn't it? Like you sort Mm. of think, I'm doing a really good job on this. And then you turn around and you think, oh, I haven't done that for ages. Momentum is the hardest thing. Yes, I'm just nodding quietly because I'm puffed from the intro. Speaking of momentum. Speaking of momentum, got quite a lot of momentum as I careered off the stage. Yeah. And now I'm just a bit puffed. There's a, a new Instagram called Heard Backstage, and it's for it's like show business people, really. It's things that people have said backstage at theatres. It's mostly like Broadway and things like that. And uh, one of the things that was heard backstage is, I'm going to give 100% of the 60% I have left to give this show. <laughs> And that's often how I feel about feminism, is you'll wake up and you go, I just don't have much left, but I'll give 100% of what I've got. And I feel like that's all anyone can be expected to do. And then we need to just, you know, refresh and reboot and all of that and then come back with more of a vengeance. But keeping things going, keeping projects going, mm. keeping our you know, resolutions going, it's hard, isn't it? It really is hard. I overheard something today which was also interesting. I was in a lift with two English women and they walked into the lift and one of them was saying, no, I really don't think you could fit a horse in a lift. And the other one, <laughs> the other went, went, surely a pony. And the first one went, okay, maybe it was a pony. <laughs> I was I'm, like, I'm looking, looking for a link between that and momentum. <laughs> choose to believe that the lift is backstage at a hotel oh i see mm. yes yes also, yes i just wanted to tell you that i heard a weird conversation between two <laughs> old englishmen and i wondered because they came from a higher floor than i did whether maybe there was the horse pony upstairs like oh, maybe they had a bit it later in their on. room yeah they'd be like yeah. Oh, could we um get some room service and get some cheese toasties and some hay <laughs> <laughs> i mean english some english were they posh some english posh women in england do no, love no, they a were pony posh. they were they well, look, they had the sort of accents that maybe they'd stole on the horse. <laughs> Cal, well, 
person. I just said it to do that to Are you. Are you imposing? I, but I didn't do the accent you said. You don't. You've thought. You've all thought you your po- own accent and your head you as to what it sounds like. Are you criminality based on socioeconomic disposition? No, or in I'm fact, basing, even regionality? I'm basing it on the fact that two women were discussing getting a horse into a lift. Listen, people of all regions of Britain will and accents horses. will have horses. Country... Oh. Pony thief No, no, outrageous. I'm just going to deduct a point because that's not feminist. Oh. I'm making a tally. It's the first time the point system You're, has been used. It's, I've never done this before. No, but you haven't. You've oh, got five weird. points for the show and you've lost one. Wow. Okay, just uh, by noise, who else believes that all English people steal horses? Nobody is supporting it. No, they're, they're, they are pity woos. That's a charitable woo. They were just the horses in the audience going, yes, <laughs> I'm glad that we came here. So already on our conversation about momentum, we have lost momentum. <laughs> we cannot sustain a conversation about momentum for more than one exchange. Is there hope for feminism? Question mark. Tap your hoof once for yes. <laughs> for some stand-up comedy. Then please welcome to the stage the incredible Carl Wilson. So I have to confess, tonight's theme is momentum and I thought I was writing about momentum but I seem to have written about something else and I don't know what happened. Uh, But um, I started off trying to rewrite the story of the little red hen uh, getting momentum but I don't know what she's ended up with but we'll all find out at the same time. Once upon a time, there was a little red hen who lived on a farm. Every morning, she'd wake up at dawn, put the rooster back on snooze, doze off for another 20 minutes, then get on Twitter with the sparrows outside and finally make it out of bed around seven. One morning, she found a piece of corn on the ground and thought, with this corn, I could make some lovely bread. So she picked up the corn and went to her friends. Who will help me plant my corn, said the little red hen. Not I, said the lazy dog. Not I, said the sleepy cat. Not I, said the duck. I've started, that's what it sounds like now. (laughs) Well, said the little red hen, I'll do it myself. To be honest, asking other animals to help plant one piece of corn seemed a bit like overkill. (laughs) But whatever, the little red hen was always trying to build a sense of community on the farm. After an appropriate time, I don't know how long, I'm not farm literate, the corn (laughs) grew tall and the little red hen said, who will help me harvest the corn? Oh, not this again, said the dog. Not me, I'm just back from night shift, says the sleepy cat. No, said the duck. (laughs) I'm sorry, I always sound so aggressive, it's just my voice. (laughs) So the little red hen watched a YouTube video and learnt how to harvest the corn. (laughs) Who will help me thresh the corn, said the little red hen. What even is threshing, said the dog. (laughs) It's a process for separating the corn from the rest of the plant, murmured the sleepy cat. That's interesting. said the duck, but you're not really getting the message, are you, hen? Fine, said the little red hen, I'll do it myself. And she took all of her frustration at the useless animals out on the corner and threshed the shit out of it. (laughs) Then, said the little red hen, who will help me mill the corn? Oh, I don't know why, fucking bother. (laughs) Said the little red hen. And she set off to see if the animals at the farm next door would help her. 
When she arrived at the farm, she met a chicken and a turkey and a fox. Hello, said the little red hen. Are you going to introduce yourselves? No, fine, I'll do it myself. (laughs) Hello, I'm the little red hen. Hello, said the chicken. I'm chicken licking. And hello, said the turkey. I'm turkey lurkey. Hello, said the fox. I'm foxy loxy. Jesus, Leesus, said the little red hen. Your parents really shit at naming you, weren't they? It's just your species and then a made-up word that rhymes with it and starts with an L. You've got a point, said Chicken Lickin. There's us, there's Goosey Lucy and Cocky Locky. Although, to be honest, before we met him, we weren't sure whether he was going to be an actual rooster or just an overconfident man named Lachlan. names are made up L words that rhyme, said Turkey Lurkey. Wait till you meet Llama Llama. <laughs> and Lion Lion, interrupted Foxy Loxy. And Lion Lion, agreed Turkey Lurkey. And Lemming Lemming, mm, said Foxy Loxy. And Leopard Leopard and Lima Lima. Yes, said Turkey Lurkey. And you can't forget Lobster Lobster. Oh yeah, Lobster Lobster. He's hilarious. Great at opening beer bottles, but don't get into an arm wrestle with him. Turkey Lurkey and Foxy Loxy laughed and laughed and turned to see the little red hen's reaction. But she had already lost the will to live and had been cornered. And had been cornered by Cocky Locky, who was hen-splaining to her. Why her cornbread was never going to happen. Well, to be honest, I'm not sure that going around barn door to barn door asking random animals to help you with very specific and technical skills, you'd be better off Googling commercial bakers. And, you know, your quantities might be a bit of an issue. You're working with one corn kernel. They might need a minimum order of several kilograms. <laughs> Finally, the little red hen managed to get away from Cocky Locky by embarrassing him by saying she had terrible egg cramps. And she took her corn and she milled it herself and went back to her farm and she baked that cornflour with some milk from Cowie Lowie and an egg that she prepared earlier and didn't want to think too much about because it was a bit weird. <laughs> and then she sliced the bread and took it outside and said, who will help me eat this bread? I will, said the lazy dog. I will, said the sleepy cat. I've always loved you, said the duck. That will be $10.50, said the little red hen. And the cornbread smelled so good that the animals paid up without even questioning how they came to be using a human monetary system. (laughs) Which could be due in part to the fact this last bit was written in quite a hurry. (laughs) And the little red hen kept planting and threshing and baking her bread and making more and more money and doing it all by herself. And she was getting lonely and she wanted a community, so she started a podcast called The Guilty Henimist. One point. That's the point. That's now a two-point situation now. And she started connecting with poultry all over the world, and then she had another idea. She'd become the first little red hen to host her own TV show. And it would be lots of work and hard to do, but if one little chick could look up and see someone like her on screen, then it would be worthwhile. Right, said the little red hen. I'll do it myself. So that little entrepreneur <laughs> pitched a half-hour cooking format, teaching hens to cook using ingredients they could scratch up themselves. And that little red hen got the cooking show and it was completely vegetarian except for one episode when she had Foxy Loxy on and he tried to eat the camera duck. (laughs) And once she was on screen, she didn't stop there. She used her henfluence to get other poultry on TV. She was very popular with reality TV. She had My Kitchen Rules. (laughs) But her greatest triumph was a henovation show. A hen-based version of the block called the... I'm so proud. 
And as she looked over her wonderful hen community, she thought, well, I didn't have to do it by myself. Ah. <laughs> so that's amazing, the little red henimist. Like, yeah, it's like if the little red hen was a feminist story. I mean, that's the point of what you're doing. I loved it. Do you know what you've done there? You've just pointed out to me what I did. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought I'd flex. I'd, I'd try out mansplaining to see what it was like. It's good. Yeah. You're pretty good. I see why men do it. It's fun. <laughs> it's enjoyable. No, I get it. It's what, sorry? Femsplained it. Yeah. Femsplained it, yeah. No, you just femsplained her flimsplaining. Flim, blah, 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 blah. Flimsplaining. Mm. Flimsplaining is when you cough on someone while you're talking. <laughs> Our guest today is a journalist, author, TV and radio presenter who, after the Weinstein revelation, set up the hashtag MeTooNZ journalism team at Stuff, which has since published more than 150 stories and led a national conversation about sexual harassment. Pl- put your hands together and make incredible guilty feminists welcoming, woohooing, awkward noises for Ali Take a seat, Ali. I'm having a little Princess Diana moment because I've realised that my skirt, which I'm a feminist but I made myself, oh, may be completely see-through under these lights. Uh, ha- now, hold on a minute. Have you thought that because you've seen through mine and no, thought it's a similar fabric? No, you must be wearing... Well, that's This is a New Zealand designer. This is a New Zealand designer called... Kate Sylvester. Kate Sylvester. Beautiful. Yes. Fancy. I got it at David Jones in Wellington on a 20% off promotion, and I will be wearing it tomorrow night on the project because I want to wear a New Zealand designer. And what I was just trying to slip in there was that I'm going to be on the project on Monday night. (laughs) But no one reacted like they were very (laughs) impressed or excited. Too late. Too little too late. Um... Who are you wearing? <laughs> I've never yeah, said Ellie that Moore. to a guest before. Uh, well, I made this myself. That's wow. fantastic. So I've just I'm... got back into sewing. I love is... that. So I don't know whether that's very feminist, it's... is it? It is. Yeah, good. It is. It's really good for the environment. I just think sometimes we say, oh, that's an old school femme thing, therefore it's not feminist. And I'm like, no, boy things aren't better. Like, True. Do you see what I mean? Like, sometimes oh, I think very we... much so. Yeah, boy <laughs> things aren't better. If boy things were better, the world wouldn't be so fucked. Because men run it. Men have been running it for... Te- cis men have been... Cis white men, let's be honest, have been running it for 10,000 years. Or the best part of 10,000 years. That, you know, the best part of 10,000 years. I don't think it has been the best part. No. But, well, I just think the concept of whiteness in 10,000 years is probably a misnomer. But, you know, recently, because uh, of colonialism, white people are running everything. And uh, so I'm just saying, if there was more sewing and less bombing... To name just one thing. You're right, because sewing is so labour-intensive that there's no time for anything else anymore. No time for bombing. No, no time or for desire to all. do... All I'm saying is if some of the men who do all the bombing had spent time making that skirt, I think they'd be so pleased with themselves. And, and... But we wouldn't need to bomb. I, I dare it stand up in case it really is. But <gasps> She's it's got, made but it's got pockets. pockets. It's got pockets, of course it has. Because it's uh, a feminist we, skirt. This is so much better than fast fashion. So yes, much better. it is. Although, I have a confession. This is from Zara. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> She's Point made off. half her outfit 
just more than you've made. Stop booing Zara when you're sitting in it. You're wearing Zara, booing Zara. Come on now. Unless you are, in fact, not wearing Zara, in which case, fair. Um, so tell us, you began the Me Too movement. What inspired that? Uh, I mean, obviously, the ra- other Me Too part of the movement. But rage. Really. Rage. And I know somebody who did a similar thing in Australia, mm-hmm. and I interviewed her on my radio show. This is Tracy Spicer I'm talking about. I interviewed her on my radio show just after Weinstein in late 2017, and she said to me, you've got to do this here, mm-hmm. Ellie, meaning New Zealand. And I just, like I really, I feel what you said on the podcast the other day, Cal, that I'm, like I'm a great lieutenant, you know, Lieutenant, I would be right there in there helping somebody who set up an investigation here and then nobody did. And uh, I thought about it over the summer and then in February 2018 the Russell McVeigh story broke, which you won't, probably won't know about. But it Could was you a, tell us for the global listeners? The Russell McVeigh story was the first kind of big Me Too moment here, I guess, uh, and it was about a group of summer interns at a big law firm who were treated despicably. Does that cover it? Kind of does, doesn't it, in a sexual way. And it was a big, big story, and I read about it on a news site, and I just thought, bugger it, somebody's going to do it, so I'll do it. And it happened in a very feminist way. I happened to be in its stuff. I didn't work there at that point pitching another project and the boss walked in, Sinead Boucher, who's the CEO, wonderful CEO, uh, walked in, just poked her head into the the meeting room just to say hello, she was off to the airport and I did that classic elevator pitch, I had that moment and I went, please, please sit down, sit down, I've got something I want to ask you. Did you have a horse with you? And no, just you're in an elevator. Although I'm likely to have a horse with me because I am a horsey girl. Did um, you acquire and anyway, the horse she legally? said, <laughs> she said legally, she said yes. Not how long will it take, or how many people do you need, or how much it will will it cost. Just yes, come here, do that. Wow. So I did, and I'm still doing it. So th- oh. thank, thanks to her, really. How do you think the Me Too movement has kept its momentum? Because I think it has. It is buoyant and it's still current. How has it kept momentum? Uh, the women keep the momentum and some men uh, because we have had men come to us. Mm. Uh, we haven't had any male survivor stories published and that worries me because I just don't think men are, you know, must have the permission to speak mm. out about these things. I think they want to, but in the end they go, Ugh. You know, it's even harder for men, I think, to have a voice in this movement, which is a shame. But women keep coming forward. I mean, we had almost 500 now, and they came in a rush at first, and then it it kind of tailed off a bit, but I still get at least one or two, you know, emails. Sometimes they come in the middle of the night, one or two a week, and they sometimes, you know, open with, I have never... told anybody else this in my entire life and this happened to me 10 years ago and here's how it's derailed my life and yes it really is that kind of depressing and um and upsetting but important but it's changing things for the next generation boys and young men are watching heroes and idols be completely 
So, like, for example, Weinstein, he's lost his career. We're building in consequences, and consequences build empathy because you, you have to start thinking about it. There are men who say publicly now, well, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk to a woman or not. I don't know if what I say will be misinterpreted as flirting or harassment. And what they're really saying when they're saying that is, I have never thought to ask how my actions routinely <laughs> land with the women I work with. And I don't believe that any of the women I love and trust in my life would tell me if I was routinely coming off as lascivious. I am completely isolated from the opinions of women and I cannot imagine how they feel. That's such a good way to put it. So they're learning empathy in public and it's exposing. They're going, I now have to wonder. I now have to ask. I now have to check. And wherever there are no consequences in society, there is no empathy because those same men have had to ask the question, how do I land when I speak to a man? Because otherwise they wouldn't be where they are in business or in the movie business or in the charity sector or whatever it is. They've had to ask that question. They've had to ask, how will this action or sentence land with my family? Otherwise, they're aroused. There are consequences. They've got empathy. They've got empathy for other people. They don't have the empathy for the women they work with or date because there was no consequence to whatever they did or said. That's what's happened. Yeah, I think that's a fair summation. Uh, we don't do it for them, of course. We do it for the my project, for the women who come forward to us. And also particularly for the young women. And it attracts still a lot of criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, when we launched, we had all sorts of criticism. And I still carry the one thing that keeps me going sometimes was a, a Snapchat that one of my daughter's friends sent to her. And it said, please thank your mum private thing but she allowed me to share it later please thank your mum for doing something with me too in New Zealand she's such a boss bitch (laughs) and every time I get an email from like there's one dude that emails me daily at the moment like long critiques of how terrible my stories are and how terribly unfair to men they are I mean, this dude, no, seriously, a couple of days ago, this guy sent me an email. Um, we wrote a story about a young woman, a 19-year-old, who had been terribly sexually harassed by her 67-year-old colleague at work to the point where he eventually put his hands on her under her shirt. Um, she shaved her head to try and... Not necessarily to try and keep him away from her, but just to try and regain some control in the situation. She shaved off all her beautiful long hair. We wrote her story recently, and uh, this dude, who's now emailing me daily, um, wrote to me and said that he may be old, but he's not a neuter, you know. Like, how are you expecting him to react when there's a young, nubile, you know, woman? Seriously, I'm not, not a word of a lie. And this is regular. Every time I get an email like that, I think of my daughter's young friend who sent me that Snapchat. And I think, yes, let's keep boss bitching. Boss bitch. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Hashtag boss bitch. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now, you've been following the Weinstein trial. I have. Can you tell us all about it? Oh, lordy. Um, Okay, so here's what I think of the Weinstein trial. I see, uh, or I hear, witness after witness take the stand and their stories are eerily similar, including the bits that the defence is picking apart. And they include things like they wanted to get along in their careers just like we all do. Uh, They froze when he attacked them which is actually has a name which has gone completely out of my head. Um, I call it Freeze and Friend. Freeze um, and Friend? Yeah. So there's, there's Tell me. if you are on the savannah, um, <laughs> which is where our amygdala evolved, right? If you are very frightened, one of the most successful strategies is fight or flight, right? Something starts to attack you. You assess whether you're going to be able to win a fight, and if you can win the fight, fight. Uh, If you think you can't win the fight, you flee. But that does not always apply to people who have a lower upper body strength. Our best sort of survival, if we can neither win a fight nor run faster than the predator, might be to freeze and friend. So you get really still and you go, I am not challenging you. I am not threatening you. I am not going to fight back. I'm going to try and survive this encounter. So often our instinct is freeze and friend. And the amount of women, the number of women, I should say, the number of women who've told me a story in which they just completely froze in a situation and like, why did I freak? Why didn't I scream? Why didn't I run? It's a survival. Even more than that, there's a form of paralysis that happens to you in those situations. And that is what all of these women in this courtroom are describing And yet the narrative, certainly from the defence, is still that there's something, you know, very random about that you would fight, you would, you know, why when he stripped you of your clothes and made you lie on the bed and then he went to the bathroom for like 25 seconds, why didn't you run from the room? Because you're very frightened of being knocked to the floor. 
And we're always trying to, as women, we're just always low-level frightened, I think. Uh, aware. I go from aware, like heightened awareness mm-hmm. on the street, like walking home after dark, or just even, I don't know, it might not be dark, but I'm just like, where, I'm, I'm always aware if I'm suddenly alone, if I'm in a residential area or something. Like, okay, I'm alone now. Just go to a heightened awareness, and if you're alone, if I'm alone with a cisgendered man, I'm like, it's just a heightened state yeah, of awareness. Yeah. We were you're talking assessing, about you're assessing everything. Mm. Yeah. You and I were talking about this the other day, um, just privately, that if you, when you were like 17 or 18 or something, you know when you went to, like, can't afford a hotel room, you're going to a different town or something, you end up staying with somebody's auntie, Marjorie and Uncle Tim. And if just Auntie Marjorie is there, you're really relaxed. And if it's just Uncle Tim, you're just like, you might be the nicest man in the world, but you're just a bit aware that you're alone in a house with a man and do you know does everyone know what I mean by this you don't know yeah. you're just in a heightened state of awareness and even if you do know them sometimes there's just a sort of you're just aware it's everything on that spectrum from a heightened state of awareness to fear mm. to terror so and the idea on, that if somebody can get to the door before you, you we just we don't want to be beaten up and on it's top worse. of that we have a innate need to make it all right for ourselves. Mm -hmm. You go into this, um, I don't want to cause offence. I mean, it sounds ridiculous when you're being attacked, but there's that. There's, I need to somehow be nice, as nice as I can to this person in this moment. But afterwards, there is also a, I need to make this okay for myself Mm. so that I can continue to live in my own head. Mm. And that part of trauma brain science is what explains them going back to him and what is not being explained in this courtroom in New York is that there have been studies that show that 45% of women who have been sexually attacked sleep with their attacker again because they're trying to make sense of it in their own Mm. mind and body so whatever happens in his trial I mean the consequences if Weinstein gets off for the Me Too movement is something I that keeps me up at night Mm. I'm really really worried of course, I don't want to see any innocent person go to jail, but really, do we really think that Harvey's innocent? Do we? No. It's like def- 80 women who've all he's had, definitely not had innocent. You know, remarkably similar stories mm. about him. Uh, so I'm happy to see him go down um, for the momentum of the movement, certainly. I mean, he should just go down because he's yes, incredibly guilty. He's like, there's no, is nobody who thinks in the world, I don't really think, even people who have a vested interest in keeping the status quo. Uh, oh, apart uh, from, what's the name? Donna Retourneau? Everybody knows. <laughs> everybody knows. They may be telling a different story to themselves yeah. or they may be, they have a vested interest in the momentum of the status quo. There are women definitely who tribe with the power base because then they feel protected. And that's another piece of psychology. It's like if I back the men, the men are in power, I will be one of their special Mm. people who they exceptionalise certain women. They go, oh, she's almost as good as a man. Uh, That's uh, what Bettina Arndt thinks she is, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you know who that is in Australia? The Uh, one that tweets all that hideous stuff? Yeah. Yeah, She's she's, uh, she's done a lot for men's rights, I think. Mm. She got a... She got an Order of Australia, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I believe she's been referred to as a psychologist and a doctor, but she doesn't have those qualifications. <laughs> Is that important to have the qualifications, though? I think if you, Why would if you, you go really to identify all of with being a doctor, yeah. you can just say that you are a doctor. <laughs> I don't know that you'd, yeah, you'd go, you wouldn't go to all of the trouble of becoming a doctor <laughs> if you could just say you're a doctor, would mm. you? No. I mean, a doctor of men's rights activism. <laughs> that course can't be long. 
and I concede in my book various points that I think men's rights activists have that are valid, that I think around you know, women and children first and that kind of thing. They don't have no valid points, but the thesis as a whole, if anyone's seen the movie The Red Pill, I was nervous of watching it because I thought, well, maybe I'll swallow it and I'll <laughs> become a men's rights activist. Really, you, you won't. Don't, don't worry. You can watch it. It's fine. Boy, you, you would really be a guilty feminist, yeah. then, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the young woman who made it, that's what happened. In the, you know, that's the narrative. That's what happened to her. She was wanting to make a film about feminism and went to work with men's rights activists and completely bought the story. But there's just so little intellectual rigour in what they're saying. But listen, there are female privileges and the more we can concede it. I really want to make a documentary where I go and talk to men's rights activists and try and work on one of their points that is valid to see if they will concede, if I can get any men's rights activists concede one of our points and work on something with us, because I'm very into bridge building. So if you're listening and you are interested in making a documentary with me about that, I'm going to call it The View from the Bridge that I'm building. Because <laughs> I think, you know what, I don't know, I'm not going to go, I made that up then, but, uh, but we'll, very good. we'll work on the title, whoever's listening. Um, but I just think it doesn't matter who builds a bridge. Once it's built, anyone can walk over it. And I'm interested in building more bridges to people who might cross them. I'm not talking about people who deny the identities or the uh, humanity of other people, but I am talking about people who are, are more open to crossing over that bridge. I don't think Harvey Weinstein is going to be one of those people. <laughs> is there anything else about his trial that we need to know? Uh, oh, there's so much. There's so much. It's been like, what was it, 20 days of evidence. Uh, you know, some of the standout moments have been outside the courtroom, for example, his lawyer, Rotuno, saying she told Megan Tui in an interview that she'd never been sexually assaulted because she would never put herself in that position. Wow. Oh, that was horrible. That was really, really horrible. But that sort of admitting, it's that sort of admitting that it could have happened to her if she'd been in a different position. It's sort of admitting it, isn't it? It's sort of saying, well, I wouldn't put myself in a position where I was alone with Harvey Weinstein. You're sort of admitting, <laughs> I just think if someone can't be alone with somebody, then that is its own indictment. And the takeaway, I suppose, the overall takeaway is that in a courtroom, in a sexual assault case, that victim blaming still mm. rules. Mm-hmm. You completely know, and controls the narrative and we've seen that here with the Grace Mullane case as well which wasn't even technically a sexual violence case it was a murder case and yet they still took her reputation down and the witness that I sat through that trial in its entirety and the breaking of one of the witnesses who had had something to do with the murderer was the most distressing thing I've ever seen in person ever it was, I can't even describe it to you, it was just awful. And these are, the lawyers were just doing their jobs, um, however. <laughs> so what's the hope that we have now? What's the positive? Do you think Harvey Weinstein will go to jail? I don't know. He's I'm got very expensive lawyers, I'm sure. That, yes. Uh, what's I, the, I don't what? know. If he doesn't, it will be the rape myth that keeps him out. I hope he does, yeah. And what's the hope here in New Zealand? Do you think we are building a new scaffolding I don't of, around know the structures we've, we've got? Come very far. To, like, isn't that a depressing thing to say? Um, especially when you work every day on it, like I do. The only thing I wanted when I started was to give New Zealand women a voice. Mm -hmm. Like, people say, well, you know, what's changing or how do we change things? 
I don't know, I'm just mm. a journalist. And I just wanted to keep that window open for mm-hmm. as long as possible and pull as many women through that Me Too window so that they could have their voices heard. And a voice is an important thing because the more times you hear the same story, the more... Mm. Uh, so many men in my life, so many cis straight men have said, I had no idea how bad the problem was. Yeah. I didn't know. And now it is evident because all of my friends have a story and I go on Twitter and everyone has a story and it's this weight of evidence that has convinced people. So I really do think, even some women have said to me they didn't know that how vast it was. They're like, I knew it had happened to me, but I didn't understand it happens all the time everywhere. So I think that in itself is very encouraging and hopeful. Is there anything else that we can do to support the Me Too movement here in New Zealand? Because all of these people are feminists. They all want to help. They all want to do oh, something. Oh, I think they're all doing their bit already. What we need is for the policymakers to set up something. Because we don't even measure it officially here mm. at all. Okay, um, well, you've got the most feminist prime minister in the world, I would say. Mm. So we need, to, we need in New Zealand, we need everyone to write to their MPs. That would be fantastic. Okay. And ask for a standalone sex discrimination commissioner. Great. Um, okay, that's something we can do. I'm who what will we can do. be able to commission the research and hopefully set up some kind of anonymous reporting system. That's what I want. Great. There Stand are apps. alone. There are apps. I know you don't want any more apps on your I'll, phone, but there are apps I said except for feminist that. apps. I will accept this app. Yeah. So a standalone sexual harassment commissioner. S- or sex discrimination Sex discrimination commissioner. Whatever you want to call it. So you're going to write to your MP and ask for that. Will everyone do that? Please do okay, that. But will you actually do it or you just say you're going to do it? Because <laughs> it's lovely to come here and be right together. That's always nice. Isn't it lovely being right? And it's a bit lovely being right with other people who are right. And then we all leave going, aren't we right? Isn't it wonderful being right? But if we don't do anything, we won't have momentum. If only everyone here tonight, forget even other listeners, if only everyone here tonight all wrote to their MPs over the weekend and said, this is what we want, there would be a flurry. Did you get an email? Did you get an email? Did you get an email? That would be a flurry on. Now, if you're listening and you live in New Zealand and you wrote to your MP and asked for that same thing, if you're listening on the podcast on the number 886 (laughs) or similar, if you're somewhere else in New Zealand, you're listening to this podcast and you did it too, there would probably be enough people that it would change things and that conversation would start to happen. And New Zealand, if you can't do it with Jacinda Ardern in power, what's the hope for the rest of us? Because we've got, where I'm from, Boris fucking Johnson. We're <laughs> not getting anything. We're not getting anything. So if you got it, it would at least be some kind of icon in the world. Because do you know, wherever I go now, people say, well, there's always New Zealand. Well, the New Zealand is the hope. Well, if things get too bad, maybe I'll apply to go and live in New Zealand. I don't know how many privileged British people and American people you can take here. <laughs> but, you know, we used to have you and Canada to look at. And now... Justin's disappointed us all. So, you know, we look at you as an icon in New Zealand. We look at you, don't we? International, yeah. I mean, Australia. Oh, totally. Yeah, if, everyone in Australia is going, could she perhaps do New Zealand and Australia? Yeah. <laughs> could Jacinda run the world? That's what we're all asking. You don't understand how much of a beacon of shining hope you are, New Zealand, to the rest of the world, that it's possible, you know. So if you can't get Jacinda to have a standalone person to look at uh, sexual discrimination... I would question what the rest of the world can do. So please get behind the fact that you have currently a compassionate female leader and make the most of that because once it's gone, it's gone. 
Ali, where can we follow you, or is there anything else you'd like us to do? Uh, is there anything else? Uh, um, uh, I would like you to support a recent breakthrough that we have had in our team, and that is giving voice to women in low-waged and insecure work who've never had a voice. So, so Me Too in this country has mm. been lawyers and other fancy people. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. Think. The Me Too movement is often, you know, it's, it starts with... You know Hollywood celebrities and people like that. Yeah, and in a way that's quite useful because we all know who they are, and it's, you know if they can't get it done, then no one else can get it done. All that kind of thing, but it needs to be moving into all the different socioeconomic groups and the most vulnerable people and people on zero contracts and things like that. And we've just uh, we're, I'm in the middle of an investigation into the fast food industry, and it's the first time that I've had women come forward feel comfortable. Those you know people who could lose their job next week or today mm. if they speak up come forward and feel comfortable to come forward and tell their stories. Great. So, so how do we support that? Oh, we'll read the stories on stuff and then write again to your MP. I mean, that's, Great. you know, we need to get the people in power to move now because we're telling the stories. Uh, we just need them to Great. pay attention. You've got representatives. Tell them what you want. Oh, my God, if our representatives would listen to us right now, we would be in heaven. If you tell them what you really, 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 really want... And don't make it zig zig art because that's... <laughs> <laughs> it's where we all went, though. We were all going zig zig yeah. yeah. Yeah, don't do that. It's a waste of an opportunity. Um, so, yeah, but if we... Oh, fuck, if Jacinda Ardern was running the UK right now, I would be down number 10 every day out the front. <laughs> can we have this? Can we have this? I'd be writing to her, trying to get her interview with her, trying to get her... We'd be asking her for all sorts. So, you know, please, just... Oh, We'd be like a kid in a candy shop. Um, You'd be so like a country in the European Union. <laughs> <laughs> That's three more points for Cal. That's the three more points for rubbing salt into my wound. That's full five now. That's it. You're no longer a chartered feminist. Um, <laughs> a quick break in the podcast to say that we have Patreon now. Because we used to be able to sell tickets to live events, we never asked the audience for help before. But now in order to keep making the podcast, we need your help. If you join our Patreon from as little as £2.50 a month, you'll get some extra content and goodies and our everlasting appreciation. If you'd like to support us, go to patreon.com forward slash guilty feminist. I'm also making cameo videos and all the cash from that goes directly to Choose Love Help Refugees. If you go to the Cameo app or website, you'll see lots of comedians and actors there making birthday videos, congratulations, thank you videos, pep talk videos, anything like that. If you want to reach out to a feminist in lockdown who needs some encouragement or a nice present and you can't reach them because of social distancing, a Cameo video can make all the difference. So let me know the details of the friend that you'd like me to say, I'm a feminist part two and I'll make a very special message for them. And that means you'll be choosing love for your friend and also for help refugees. And finally, if you're looking for things to read while in lockdown, uh, The Guilty Feminist book is available as an e-book, it's available as an audiobook, and it's available as a real live book. So buy it from someone who pays their tax. And now, back to the podcast. Please. 
please put your hands together and make incredible noises for the wonderful Grace Petrie! Hello, Auckland! Are we on here? Hello, Auckland, how are you doing? Good, good stuff. So, um, uh, yeah, we, in, in the UK, um, I, we just can't stop losing elections there, to be honest, the good guys. Um, so, uh, and I wrote this song after we lost one of them, um, and, uh, and I was ready to sort of pack it all in and stop caring about politics and stop caring about trying to sort of use my life to enact any sort of positive change. Um, and then I realised that there's a lot of people that come to my gigs who've lost more elections than I have, <laughs> um, because I'm only 32, so I've only lost three so far. Um, and I realised that um, it's quite arrogant actually to decide that you're going to pick up your ball and go home the first time that you lose something and uh, I wrote a song about the most important thing to me I think when we're talking about all of this stuff the most important thing is keeping hope keeping the idea that things can be better that's the most important thing that you need um, and some days you will have hardly any at all but the great thing to remember is that we're actually a really big team so on the days that you have a tiny 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 little bit you only need to keep a flicker going because there'll be somebody else who's having a better day than you and that's how we go that's how we pick it up that's how we work as a team right so I wrote a song about it and it's called If There's a Fire in Your Heart. I'm going to teach you line by line. You're going to sing it after me. So the first line goes like this. If there's a fire in your heart, it only needs to be a candle. If there's a fire in your heart, it only needs to be a candle. Nice one. Every fire in the world starts it from one spark every fire in the world starts it from one spark so take the fire in all our hearts we will be more than they can handle so take the fire in all our hearts we will be more than they can handle Take my hand in here tonight And we will light up all the dark Take my hand in here tonight And we will light up all the dark So that's the chorus and it's going to repeat about 20 times So you're going to learn how to do it as we go along It goes like this Dig God and said there ain't no gods Excuse me while I shout the odds The leaders have their cow prods But we stage. I look around and all I see is disempowered misery and they dress it up as apathy and say that we don't care. Here we go, if there's a fire. If there's a fire in your heart, it only needs to be a candle. Every fire in the world starts it from one spark. Take the fire, so take the fire. In all our hearts, we will be more than they can handle. Take my hand in here tonight, and we will light up all the dark. I know there's winter all around, I see your spirits getting down. You thought we would have turned things round a bit by now. But I need you to have faith in us, a generation brave enough to build a world on peace and love it's never too late cause if there's a fire in your heart it only needs to be a candle 
Every fire in the world started from one spark. So take the fire in all our hearts. We will be more than they can handle. Take my hand in here tonight and we will light up all the dark. Are you getting there with the words, do you think? You know what you're doing? Should we do it again a bit louder? Here we go. One, two, three. If there's a fire in your heart, it only needs to be a candle. So take the fire in all our hearts We will be more than they can handle Take my hand in here tonight And we will light up all the dark That's why Wellington. <laughs> that's why Wellington is so cross. Blah blah blah. But this is the first time. So I'm not saying blah 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 to you. I'm saying blah 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 to me. Um, um, that you know, you, you've heard about Wellington. But 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 <laughs> Auckland. But <coughs> point oh, off for Deborah. Point <laughs> off for <laughs> Deborah. That's not point. a point of feminism. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's a point of geography. That is you a, can't take a point of feminism for me confusing personal, Wellington and Auckland. A personal foul for Deborah Francis White. Okay, fine. fine. <laughs> point off for Deborah. A huge thank you to our amazing patrons who have supported this podcast at the Smash the Patriarchy level or above. Sarah Belcher, Valerie Marr, John Quokoy, Sarah Brown, Sarah Boom, and Ruby Rose Thompson. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 